Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntra is here. we got a great new episode for you today. Dean Haspiel is welcomed back to Word Balloon to talk about his new webcomic, The Red Hook. Now, you know, Dean, he's done amazing collaborations with uh, people like Keith Giffen and Harvey Pekar and Jonathan Ames and uh, has created uh, things like the Activate uh, Web Comics, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know what you call it, Consortium, uh, there's a good word. Uh, he has been involved with a lot of uh, world building in web comics, and uh, the Red Hook is part of a new idea he has created uh, involving New Brooklyn. And it's an interesting concept, and he's got more heroes and villains to come, and he talks about the building blocks of New Brooklyn and the Red Hook with us. And, you know, he's a huge hardcore comics fan as well. So we get into some good superhero talk about DC and Marvel and a bunch of other topics as well. Happy to welcome Dean Haspiel back to Word Balloon. And, you know, we're talking about this free uh, Red Hook comic that you can get, and Dean will explain how to find it. But uh, I decided this will be a free episode. So no sponsorships, just a, a happy introduction, welcoming everybody back, and happy to present this wonderful conversation with Dean Haspiel. Dean was so excited to begin talking about the concept, he didn't even give me a chance to like introduce him like I normally do. So we will say now, Dean Haspiel, welcome back to Word Balloon, and uh, you'll join me in mid-conversation as we're talking about what we'll be talking about for the next uh, hour and 45 minutes right now on Word Balloon. Excellent. Well, let's, uh, let's dive in. Okay. We'll talk about, uh, obviously, we'll talk about Red Hook. We'll talk about the shared universe, whatever whatever you got coming up. I know you always have a laundry list, and that's good. Yeah, I mean, I've been really focusing like eight days a week working on the Red Hook right now. It, it, because it's a free weekly webcomic, uh, it catches up with you. I mean, I had about, I don't know, 12 or 13, maybe even 14 weeks in the can when we launched in April. And they they start to catch up on you. <laughs> you wow, know? man! So, Jesus, uh, crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, uh, hold on a second. I'm sorry. I'm getting, sure. Yeah, no, I'm grab it. Turning this. No, I'm turning it off right now. Okay. Uh, yeah, no problem. So, uh, yeah, I I had a bunch in the can. I mean, I basically was approached by Tom Akel, the editor at Line Webtoon, uh, last okay. last year, and he ex- told me about uh, webtoons. And I'm, honestly, I had not known about webtoons. It's a uh, South Korean uh, hub for, you know, hosting all kinds of web comics from romance to adventure, fantasy and all that stuff. And they're based in South Korea? Yeah, they're based in South Korea. And there's this interesting and the company that uh, underwrites them or is, the, is is their overseer is called Naver. And the way I was explained is that Naver is kind of like the Google of South Korea. So, you know, they're a big company and okay. they have this really cool app where they uh, host a whole bunch of free web comics, and they even produce a bunch. And they were starting something called Line Webtoon, where they wanted to, uh, you know, kind of get more of the American market. Uh, and I was one of the guys that they approached to help do that. Uh, and so I, I, I pitched like three different ideas to Tom, and the one he liked the most was the Red Hook. And as we were negotiating. And talking about the idea, I said, you know what? I might actually have a few more ideas as well that could be, you know, uh, a part of this Red Hook world, uh, i.e. New Brooklyn. So when you read the Red Hook, you'll you'll know that, as you've read, that there's this whole thing that happens where Brooklyn uh, is actually sentient. It's a uh, heart's been broken by the apathy and indifference of the world. And, <laughs> sure. and it, decides, yeah, yeah. it decides to physically and literally secede 
from not only New York City, but of course America, and uh, spark its own republic, its own country called New Brooklyn. Uh, and I'll get to the to the origin of that in a minute. Anyway, the point is, like when I hit him with the Red Hook idea, and he said how much he liked it, because I think he also used to live in Brooklyn and misses Brooklyn. He lives in California now, um, okay. and he liked the idea a lot. But I said, you know, there are other characters that could be involved in in this uh, and create an umbrella title, as it were, as it were, like this universe, this new, sure. new Brooklyn universe. So um, at the time, Seth Cushion was alive. And he had created this character called uh, co-created this character called the Brooklynite uh, with artist Seamus Bial, and okay. and uh, so I talked to Seth about the possibility of incorporating the Brooklynite in this new Brooklyn concept that I started to to come up with, and he he liked that idea, and we hashed out some some concepts, and then ultimately, and then we also wanted to have this kind of third character called the Purple Heart. Which, for lack of a better term or better uh, understanding, he's kind of like uh, Brooklyn's Silver Surfer, uh, and he speaks for the heart of Brooklyn. Uh, the that and and tells uh, the part of the story that's not in the Red Hook and not in Brooklynite, which talks about like you know the this sentient being that that it has been hurt and whose heart has been broken. I know it sounds all very sentimental and mushy, but. Uh, <laughs> There is a nobody point to that story, you know, and so. he's and he is like the the New Brooklyn's Harold, uh, basically a kind of New Brooklyn's Harold in a way. And and uh, I, I at the time Vito Del Sante was in, in the studio, uh, okay, actually sitting in Seth's spot while Seth was in the hospital, and then go and then we went home, and then of course, as we all know, he passed away. Um, yeah. So uh, so Vito uh, took over his chair and and was uh, working on his comic Stray and some other things. But I was like, wait a second, maybe Vito could write the Purple Heart because because we had come up with this loose idea with this name. And then I was like, well, why don't we try to incorporate it into this new Brooklyn universe? And we, you know, hashed it back and forth and came up with this concept and then uh, found a really cool artist that Vito had worked with previously named Ricardo Venancio. And uh, so, uh, you know, going back to what I was talking about with Tom Akel, he I, he asked for one comic and I came back with three, <laughs> you know, but, <laughs> of but he dug them and it was really cool. And, 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 and so uh, we, we worked out a deal where I would, uh, we would start the, the, the new Brooklyn universe with the red hook, uh, touch upon what had happened in Brooklyn, but then get to these, the origin story of this super thief that uh, becomes a reluctant superhero. And, mm-hmm. and then, discuss a little bit the background of Brooklyn and what happened. And then uh, as this series would start to wind down the first season of it, uh, we would then have uh, one of the other comics kind of take over, take take the narrative baton, as it were, and go uh-huh. running with it. So uh, the next one's going to be coming up is going to be the Purple Heart uh, at the end of July. And then it'll, it'll uh, the threesome will conclude with the Brooklynite. And if it does well enough, uh, hopefully we'll have more seasons and hey, you never know. It could bring on more characters and the possibility of a team book, kind of like what the Avengers did, you know, with Iron Man, Captain America, and and all that, you know, and Thor. Sure. So I mean, I've I've always been a huge fan of of you know Marvel nineteen sixty one, and what Stan Lee and and Kirby and Ditko and all those guys did, and how they built you know uh, built this universe that and you know that's taken over the world right now actually so <laughs> you know but you did get a chance to read it did you enjoy it did you yeah no for real man i i really did uh you know we're, we're on the record i'm assuming obviously uh, we're what 
Are we on the record with all this? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, good, good, good. Okay, yeah. good deal. Because <laughs> you did. You went right into your spiel, and that's excellent. Oh, I'm because, sorry. I was just... No, not at all. This yeah. is all good, man. I'm <laughs> okay. sure I've introduced you, and we're, we're off and running. That's yeah. fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, uh, no I'm, I'm absolutely... I'm, I'm, uh, I'm caught up. And I love the fact, first of all, that the Red Hook used to be also a boxer beyond being a thief. Yes, yes, that's part of the origin, and that's that you're going to get some more origins as the story uh, moves forward. Because the way I plotted it out was it had to have kind of like these mini cliffhangers, you know, that every sure. like you know every chapter has to keep you wanting to come back for more, which has also been a lot of fun to figure out. Uh, and with that, it means that the way I've decided to do it is it's just going to start to collide like a domino effect, like one thing happens after another, but you know, I don't want you to get lost either. So I'm gonna. I've I've figured out moments and breaks to get you uh, a little bit into into the past of these characters. Uh, and so yeah, we get a little bit of a, a Red Hook origin. And if you notice, uh, his boxing coach is uh, looks a lot like Jack Kirby. <laughs> so, and I uh, actually, if if you can, if you look really close enough, the gym, uh, you see that the guy's name is Jack Toth. And and what I was doing was I was honoring uh, the fact that when I originally created the Red Hook in like 2012, uh, I, I I created him as kind of like a, a a palate cleanser. I was going to Yado, the artist writers retreat in uh, Saratoga Springs, New York. I don't know if you ever heard of that. I think didn't you go to it? Um either right after Seth passed away? Or... I, yeah, I've been there uh, three times, and I think I did go to Yado after, right after Seth. Yeah, dis- describe it for the audience. So by all yeah, means. Yado, Y-A-D-D-O, is uh, one of the premier uh, artist-writers retreats, and this one's in Saratoga Springs, New York. And uh, I, people like Truman Capote went there, and, and, and I, our, my buddy Jonathan Ames has gone there, and, and tons of, of writers and artists and filmmakers and and whatnot. And it's just a real privilege to go there for like a month or so. And, you know, sometimes you get to stay in the mansion or these little cabins and houses outside. And it's on 300 acres of land with a rose garden and it's buttressed up against a uh, horse racing uh, compound. And it's, it's a, an, a, an amazing place. Uh, Which horse racing compound is it? Oh God, what's it called? It's the one in Saratoga Springs where, where some of the most famous races happen. I, I I'm sorry. I, I can't remember the name of it. But I would okay. I would ride my bike uh, uh, the bicycle because they have bicycles on, on on the land and you could ride to the back uh, of one of the the, the acres sure. and and then go and you could just see the horses being walked around and it's just, it's just really beautiful you know oh yeah man oh no I I I love it's you know it's kind of a love uh, sad thing with me with horses because Why? I do I I love thoroughbred racing. Well, you just hear the sad stories of sometimes when oh. they're done racing yeah. and they're not the championship horses that go out to stud and yeah. have a nice, lovely life and yeah. everything. There's some really unfortunate endings to some of these horses I, as well. I have a lot of uh, uh, emotional uh, you know, uh, issues with that as well because these are beautiful animals. Yes. And I, I don't necessarily like the idea of, of gambling you know, with their lives and – and, you know, they could break their legs in the horse race. And yes. I, I can't really watch horse races. Um, and so I, I do have a conflicted, you know, uh, relationship as well. Uh, I, I don't I don't gamble on horses. And again, I don't like to try. I don't like to watch the races, but just to be around them. They're these majestic creatures. Oh, yeah. They're amazing. 
No, absolutely. Yeah, you know, and I I am a disease person that likes to bet on thoroughbred racing. Oh, but God. Uh, I, I admit it. I admit it. Yeah. Well, dude, you know that and boxing and stuff. No, there's a lot of the a lot of the uh, ugly side of sports that that uh, sadly appeal to me. You know, yeah. I don't I don't know. It's, and now I'm conflicted as I get older and stuff. Believe me, I know. Well, we we feel more mortal. You know, we feel our mortality as we get older. We're we're, we're yeah. We're less immortal. When when I was young. I, I felt like a combination of like Calvin Hobbes and Iron Man, you know, like I was <laughs> could do anything with my imagination yes. and, and the physical prowess. And of course, uh, you know, I just turned 49 and, and I think 49 is the first age where I feel the age. Do you know what I mean? I, like I, I'm 51. I know exactly what you yeah. were 49. I went through the same thing. Yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of bizarre. It's not that we're old. It's just that we're not young anymore. We're not young anymore. And, and honestly, what I do, and I don't know if you sit a lot, but I sit too much. I sit to draw. I, I'm constantly sitting. And, and, and this is going to sound boring to a lot of the, the people listening. But, yeah, you just start to feel your age. And so I'm trying to get on my bike a little lot more and, and yeah, man. you know, play softball when I can and stuff like that. Good. So. Uh, and yeah, it may hurt. You have to, you have to sit still to, to create. Yeah. Yeah. But I did. I mean, like you were just saying, I mean, mm-hmm. even to get the shit in the bank and everything and, and be able to put it out on a weekly basis and stuff. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing, like doing this, like I said, I, it feels like I work eight days a week and I have to say really? no more than ever before to, to anything social unless it's, it's, you know, job oriented, you know, and so I'm trying to also break that as well. And, and honestly, you know, right now has been a great time for me because it's I have full autonomy to write, draw, color, letter. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm creating a uni- I'm co-creating a universe with other artists that that I that I own, that we own, you know, that's and, excellent. man. And as much as I like playing with the toys, i.e. Marvel, DC, Archie. I don't own those. And, and at the end of the day, they can say thank you. Goodbye. And on to the next, you know. And, sure, and sure. with this, this is my ba- these are my babies I get to play with, you know. And and in fact, and you've read it. I mean, it's it's I'm winking at all the Marvel and DC and Archie heroes through my. This is like a yeah, clearly a, a love letter to superhero comics, you know. Oh yeah, no, it's an extension of I think what you were doing with even as recently as the Fox with absolutely, Mark Wade. Absolutely. Yeah, no question, man. Well, and I see a lot of Billy Dogma in Sambrosia the Red Hook. So <laughs> yeah, I you can't know, help good myself. name by the way. Thank you. I like the name. Well. I- I was just uh, I was playing uh, goofing on the word ambrosia, you know, and I was like, "Well, we made ambrosia." He's an ambient guy. I don't know, but um, I mean, that's where these things come from. And then, and then these silly characters like like the Green Point or the Invisible Light, the Red Hook, uh, uh, Benson Hurst. When I when I thought about Benson Hurst, I was like, "That's got to be a, a, a villain with a wrestling mask," you know, of course. Uh, <laughs> do you know Brooklyn at all? I mean, have you visited? Yeah, well, you know, honestly, I know it from visiting and the honeymooners, uh, and you know, I mean, that's the thing. So you know, a lot of it's just pop culture stuff, and okay. certainly Benson Hurst, you know, Ralph Crampton, man, totally. That's that's his neighborhood. Yeah, no, and and I and I, I'd say this, I don't think it's changed much <laughs> since the honeymooners. Uh, you know, did you know that? Um, and I don't know if I've ever talked about it on my podcast, but I, I'm sure other people have heard this as well. Uh, Louis C.K.'s first sitcom that was on hbo yes. lucky louie yes the, the yeah the apartment that he lived in is basically he took the floor map of uh the honeymooners set oh right and, it's, and and literally is like yeah in my mind we're living in the cramden's apartment yeah he i i watched obviously watched it when it came out and i got it on dvd and watched it again and in fact i just finished his most recent series uh of louis 
TK, not the the Pete and the the one he did online recently. I haven't I haven't seen those yet, but uh, I did know that his first outing was a, kind of an homage to the Honeymooners, which is still one of the greatest TV shows ever made. You know, oh, of course, yeah. absolutely. Um, and and I thought that was a real uh, good effort that he he tried, but I you know with the live audience and yes and, and all that, and and of course he's always like skirting. He's always on, on the edge, you know, like even with his sense of humor being so bleak at times, you know. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, the, the FX show. Holy oh, shit. Oh, is that, and then there's Horace and Pete. That's what I think it's called. And I yes, Horace and Pete is the new online show. Right. And I haven't seen that. And, and I will. Uh, but I have a feeling that's probably more leaning toward like the Archie Bunker kind of era, you know, of television, possibly. Uh, I would agree. It sounds like it based on the interviews I've heard and yeah. also a lot darker. Right. than even the FX show got. Right. So, yeah. Right. I mean, that's where he's going. I think that's where, where his humor is leaning towards uh, ever more. But, yeah, I mean, going back to the Red Hook, like, you know, I knew I was going to play with superhero tropes and it was going to be, like, origin stuff and dealing with cosmic, you know, swords of sacrifice and the omni-fist of altruism and, and all the fun stuff that, you know, I get to goof off of. Uh, but, you know, once I tell that story, I can possibly get into telling more kind of little, little serious stuff or at least touch upon like one of the things I want to play with uh, the idea of is if, if, in, if there's a new Brooklyn, what do they barter with? You know, how do you trade? Are they using American money? I'm not sure yet, but I want to approach the idea because of, uh, and, and some autobiographical stuff. Like I'm, I'm going to have to be leaving my studio at some point soon in Gowanus because they're kicking us out of here. It's too expensive. Yeah. You know? I heard this. You know, either either you and I talked about this before, or um, Hannah Hannah Mean Shannon right. when she was on. She was telling me this as well. Right, right. And and, so, and yeah, yeah, it's something that's been happening. It happens all the time. It's just it's. I I happen to be in a neighborhood with other artists, and it's happening to us right now. And so I thought about like you know p- part of comics. What you get to do with comics not only express yourself, but you get to romanticize and fantasize. You know and and. So I was thinking, what if what if artists could barter their art for for food and services and, and whatnot? In fact, I've done it with my dentist, you know, like when I couldn't afford something, and I knew he was a comic book fan. I did a commission for him, you know, and that's fantastic. So it had I mean, you, you do it does work, you know, and sure. But uh, but I wanted to kind of just like throw it out there. And I feel like uh, one of the responsibilities as an artist uh, and, and, and an author is to put out there what you want back. So, you know, as as unfeasible as it may be what I'm proposing, it, you never know what's going to happen in the future, you know? So I want well, to put that idea out there. Well, I also find it interesting that, you know, yeah, if Brooklyn is sentient, are the other boroughs sentient as well? And is it like, did Brooklyn <laughs> leave, like, you know, to put it in Swamp Thing terms, the Council of Trees? Well, it, it's... <laughs> It's something we haven't decided yet, to be honest. But I did. Okay. I did joke that what did Brooklyn break up with Manhattan? You know, they have a right. they have a lover spat or something. You know, like, <laughs> um, and and I think I think that would get to Alan Moore. You know, and and then I'd have to figure out a whole tree of life type thing. And so I just kept it right now to Brooklyn, as if for some reason Brooklyn is, is special. And, and I guess it is special because it's, it's where I live and it's what I think about and what I know right now. You know, even though I was born and raised in the Upper West Side of Manhattan, I moved here uh, to Brooklyn uh, over 19 years ago. And and it, it, it's kind of like where I found my heart and my soul, you know, and, and that's how I, I feel about this place. 
So, you know, for now, I'm just going to keep it, you know, centered on uh, uh, Brooklyn being sentient. But you never know if I can come up with a cool idea, you know, of of how another uh, borough or hell, another state or another country could could uh, parlay with 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 Brooklyn. Maybe I can figure out. I don't know. That's excellent, dude. The the chapters are incredibly dense. I mean, you're is it more images than what you were giving on, like, say, your Billy Dogma stuff from a couple years ago? Well, it, it's a different experience. Don't forget, like, I'm you, the way you're seeing it on on the Webtoons app is a vertical scroll, and so I had to really think about like, how does that work? Why is it vertical? Vertical, like, you know, what makes it different? And for every chapter that I create. I'm doing it basically twice. I'm drawing it once, but I'm I'm thinking about the print, the eventual print version, sure. uh, you know, like a year or so from now as, as a sure. collection. So I am drawing them tr- like traditional comic book pages, but then I'm breaking them up for the vertical scroll and I'm having to letter it twice. I also thought about color coding, like how, you know, how, how do I want to color this world and and I realized that the different characters could each have their own specific color and that mm-hmm. New Brooklyn itself is kind of a warm gray area, you know, kind yep. of like a middle ground uh, for all these like extraordinary characters. And uh, yeah, so I I don't know. I, and in terms of like density and richness, I think I, I've, I've also tried to, to experiment by breaking my line. Like I'm used to drawing very slick. Or I'm, I or I, I grew up with you know staring at Joe Sinnott's inks over Jack Kirby a lot you know and and, and sure. other artists and as much as I tried to ape that uh, style I realized after a while that not only am I not good enough but you know there's something to to a gritty line there there's something to a broken line and so uh, with this particular project I, I knew I wanted to break something artistically. So and I knew that I was going to be doing something with a vertical scroll and I was going to have to experiment in, in, in the format anyway. So I, I decided to get really crappy sketch paper and these jet pens that are kind of like little broken brush type things that have a nice uh, dry brush pull to them. And okay. so I'm drawing on paper that's really bad with with tools that aren't great and I'm finding a a better art style because of it. And, and what it's, what it's doing to me psychologically is it's letting me let go and not, not care about this idea of perfection or, 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 you know, it's a different kind of beauty. It's almost like a grotesque beauty, you know, I'm with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, again, I, I, it's still very similar to what I've done in the past, but I start, I'm starting to see the difference and I'm starting to create different solutions. And then, and another thing that I had to do was, uh, you know, I, I one of the people that I, mentored me w- because I was his assistant was Howard Chaikin. And Howard yep. Chaikin is famous for the way he uses insets on pages. And I realized in this vertical scroll that I wasn't going to really be able to use insets. And, you know, and, and inset for people who don't understand, those are like the little kind of like boxes that hang over other panels or they're kind of like used for details and close ups and that kind of stuff. Right. So you've got, yeah, you've got like, say, a building and then you've got an inset of what's happening in one apartment. Sure. Or, yeah, like a close up of like someone's mouth talking and then you then you go inside the scene as it sure. cascades over between panels and that kind of stuff. So yep. Yep. I'm not really doing that in this. And, and it's because it would it would kind of like uh, require a lot more uh, editing and, and patching up for uh, the two different formats that, that I'm doing sure. at the same time. 
So I've actually gotten a little simpler in a way with my layouts, uh, relying more on just, you know, behavior and, and action and words. And I don't know, it's just been a different experience for me where I used to play a little bit more with the page like I did with the Fox recently. I had a lot of fun with my layouts. Here I'm, yep. I'm going a little more standard. Uh, and, and on the one hand, I felt like I was cheating <laughs> in some way, but on the other hand, it just, it just brings more clarity to the story is what I'm realizing. You know, Steve Ditko was famous for, what was it like nine panel grids, you know? Where, yeah. Back in the fifties. Yeah, sure. Back sure. then. And, and I, and when I did uh Billy Dogma originally at activate, I remember I was a slave to just a square panel, each panel right. was square. So uh, there's, there's something uh, really cool about using that kind of limitation uh, to tell your story, you know? I understood. No, absolutely. And that's why whenever you do have these kinds of projects, I am fascinated by that because, like you said, you are you are limited by the format. Yes. So it does challenge you in a different way. That's great, man. And and truly, I know that I always think this is even more uh, exciting because of those limitations. And again, I don't know why. I, I, you know, I'm looking at it on uh, my laptop and at my desktop at work. Oh, okay. So you're not looking at it on a smartphone or a tablet? No, I wasn't. Okay, because with, with the way you're seeing it is, is if I'm correct, it looks really big. Uh, it, it's a bigger font size for the word. Oh, yeah. It's, but it actually looks really cool on your phone and or I, – I think the optimal way to look at it is on a tablet. Um, sure. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's much bigger – uh, on, on your laptop, and that's okay to look at it that way. I just find it a little distracting because of how big it is. But that's that's how big I had to create it in order for it to look uh, good on your on on the, when it, when it's reduced down to phone size. You know? Sure, um, absolutely. And so, I mean, again, I've always been trying to you know, if you can't beat them, join them type situation with with digital comics. And you know, in 2006, when I uh, co-founded Activate on LiveJournal before we mm -hmm. we sparked the website. You know, I, I realized that, you know, people were transitioning more to their computers. And then, of course, there was web comics and digital comics. And now we're doing vertical scrolls. And, and you know, and actually, Line Webtoons, I think they've been doing that for over seven years. So they're kind of been ahead of the curve already, you know. Um, sure, and, sure. And, yeah, but at the same time, again, 49 years old, I still like to hold these things in my hand. I like to turn pages. I like print. You know, so I'm trying to do both, you know, uh, and, and, and actually, and I should send you some pages. It's a different reading experience. I'm sure it is. Between no, I'm sure it is. Scroll. Yeah. So, I mean, the way things are revealed, like there are tons of splash pages that, I, that I'm using. Uh, again, on the phone, it would look like a panel, you know, but then what? you get a nice splash page in a book, you know, and, and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, it's been really, it's been really interesting. It's a lot of fun. Uh and I feel like every four or five chapters, I'm trying to throw another curveball into the story. Um, so going back to when I created the Red Hook at Yado, and I was saying it was like a, a palate cleanser, uh, my, my challenge, because uh, I knew going into Yado in 2012 is I was going in as a writer. I wasn't going in as an artist. And I, I was going to uh, abandon doing comics for about a month. I focus on like, like this uh, prose novel I was writing and screenplay and that kind of stuff. So okay. I knew that the first night I wanted to cleanse the palate and just write a, a little short comic out of nowhere. And my, my challenge to myself is, well, what if Jack Kirby and Alex Toth got together to create a superhero? And that's where the Red Hook came from. I, I don't know why that's what it, what came up, but that's what came up. And, and you know, throwing a, a pinch of 
Burt Reynolds and a, and a hint of, uh, uh, oh, God, not not Charlie Chaplin, the other guy. Uh, Douglas Fairbanks? No, no, the other uh, the other side. Oh, Keaton? Uh, Keaton? Uh, no, uh, yeah, wait. Um, now Buster the, Keaton? Buster Keaton, absolutely. So it's got, like, equal parts of Buster Keaton, Burt Reynolds, the little uh, Charles Bronson, and then Kirby and Toth. And maybe a hint of uh, Eisner as well. And that's this is what I came up with. And I can see all those influences. That's great. Uh, what's uh, what's Toth's action hero? Because um, his it, face. It's funny. You say Burt Reynolds, and I think of Toth's character. Well, Toth, Toth always was drawing. Um, um, what's the dashing guy that could sword fight? Uh, uh, not Douglas Fairbanks. Errol Flynn. Errol Flynn. Errol Flynn was his go-to guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, no, you can definitely see the Errol Flynn uh, influence. Absolutely, I forget the name of uh, his uh, his Bravo, character though. Bravo for Adventure. Yeah, Bravo, exactly, Bravo. man. So, yep. Uh, and God, speak. You know, it's like, like if Bravo that's, became that's, Daredevil. That's, a little bit, absolutely. <laughs> Again, with 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 the seventies kind of Charles Bronson, you know, like Charles Bronson the mechanic. You know, you can throw can him in there and, and get a little bit that. <laughs> so, but uh, but yeah, and it's funny because. Like that's the I had done a short. Then I went and drew the comic after I got back from Yado at another residency I did, and I had this thing that I didn't know what to do with. And when uh, Vito Dosante uh, uh, told me that um, he was doing, he had written a short Black Hood story for an editor, uh, Paul Kaminsky at the time at Archie. And I said, Oh my God, I, I so badly want I want to do the Fox. I love the Fox because I, I had read those those uh, some of those comics in the 80s and the fox sure. was a backup feature in in the black hood by alex toth and i never forgot that and and so i i i used my red hook story in a way as an audition to show that i could draw something kind of like the fox because of the ears and whatnot and uh, <laughs> uh he gave me uh he gave me permission to pitch uh, a short story i did a six-page fox story that i then drew and once that was done he offered me a five-issue miniseries and that's where the Fox started for me for, for in my career, you know, to, to, that's to, awesome to uh, that's plot a, well, and draw that. I'm interested with Yato and everything. So at these retreats, like, is it organized? I mean, what do you guys do there? Um, um, it's organized in that there's a, a, uh, hours, I believe it's from 10 AM to 4 PM. Uh, they feed you a uh, breakfast. They give you a packed lunch and then you get together for dinner <clears throat> and that is it. That's how organized. Like they leave you alone, no judgments. Uh, right. Uh, they, there's no like checking on you to make sure you're doing work or anything. You could literally, you could probably go there and sleep for a month, which I think maybe some <laughs> people do. But I, I wind up doing even more work than I, I would if you were paying me, which is, I guess, it's my default. I can't help myself, you know. And it's no distractions, basically. Nothing other than well, just it, a beautiful it, area to, to relax and, and just focus your mind. Well, yeah, you, you, the only distractions, and I think it's a healthy distraction, is you get to meet other amazing artists. And sure, sure. you know, sometimes it's, you know, you can hit it off with someone or not. That's just the nature of, of being around people. But, you know, usually when I go, when I have gone, I've gone three times now, uh, it's a, it, there's about three people at a time and they're rotating out every like week. So like some people have been there for a month or for three weeks when you get there and they have one week left and then sure. new people are coming when you're about to leave and it's constantly rotating. So you're constantly meeting new folks and, you know, uh, sometimes forming little mini bonds, you know, kind of like being in Vietnam together, except it's an artist retreat, you know, <laughs> and, 
uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, without the casualties. Um, we had Yato, man. Yeah. We'll always have Yato. <laughs> always have Yato. But that's what it feels like. I mean, I don't I believe it. Have you ever been at a residency of any kind? No, my buddy, my buddy Cam McWhorter, who is a Wall Street Journal writer, uh, did one at Harvard a year or two ago and met. Oh God damn it! Um, the the cartoonist journalist. Um, who oh, I really uh, want word balloon. Sacco, Joe Sacco. Joe Sacco, yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, he was with and Joe? He, Joe was yeah. Oh. And he and he and he kinda got to know. He's like, you know Joe Sacco? I'm like, no, but I'd like to. Yeah. Can you help me? Yeah, that would be cool. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I wanted my word But no, he was you know, and yeah, it was it was like it was a Harvard thing. Well, you know, I mean, regardless of any I mean, any communal kind of residency, because sometimes there are re- re- residencies where you're just the artist in residence and they just give you a spot and you do your thing and you're the weirdo yeah, you know, for the month or two. But my favorite ones are the ones where you, you get, you know, you're, you're in the trenches together of sorts, you know, uh, and, and you, you're kind of forced to face the, the artist in the mirror, you know, like I, I remember the, the first time I was there, I had a real struggle with like, oh, my God, I, first of all, I've been I've been given this privilege, but now I felt like I really had to earn it, you know, like and I had to really create an output of sorts you know, whether it was good or bad, but just to do the work, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah. and I was really excited to be able to do a lot of work uh, just to prove my salt, you know, that that I am in it to, uh, for the long haul, as it were, uh, regardless of, of whether it makes any kind of cultural impact or if I make a dime off of it. It's it's be- you do it because you have to, you know, and I think that sure. that's uh, part of what they try to identify are the people who, who can't help themselves. And so this is a way of helping them give them a, a space, uh, a non-judgmental space to be able to create and make something, you know? Um, Very cool. So with that, that's where the Red Hook kind of originally came from. And then where, a couple of years later, when uh, I was invited by Tom Akel at Line Webtoon to submit something, and then I realized, wait a second, maybe... I, it, what, it, what it came down to is I needed the Red Hook to have a hook, not just uh, a story about a super thief that's forced to become a superhero against his will. But like, what's the background? What's happening? And I knew it was going to take place in Brooklyn because he's in Red Hook, Brooklyn. But like, what's different? And and uh, one of the things that happened as I was trying to come up with this concept was uh, a couple of years ago, I don't know if you remember this, but do you remember hearing about how the American flags were replaced by white flags on the Brooklyn Bridge? No, tell me about that. All right, so... I don't know, it was like a Monday or something, and people started to freak out because the American flags have been replaced by these large white flags, and they're flapping in the wind, and there was no message. Nobody knew what it was about. It took about a week for uh, a couple of German artists to fess up to realize that they had pulled some kind of stunt. I forget what the the artistic practical joke was, but I remember during that week, there was this chatter about, like, well, what's that about? What does that mean? And my, my mind went right to, oh, my God, I think Brooklyn gave up it exactly it, surrendered it surrendered yeah. it, it waved the white flag and i said well why did brooklyn give up and i realized oh it it's 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 heart's been broken that's it and and you know it it it, it feels uh, the apathy and the indifference of the world and i know that may sound corny but that's how i felt and that's still kind of how i feel sometimes so i i made the brooklyn sentient and and i kind of used that idea and then i talked to seth and Vito about it and they're like yeah i guess that sounds cool <laughs> You know, and and we started to <laughs> think about like, well, what would what would Brooklyn look like if it if it pulled away? Like, how much does it pull away? You know, do people die? Like, what happens to the bridges and the tunnels? And 
And actually, Seth kind of came up with a little idea and, and actually looked at the map and, and, you know, did a little Photoshop trick where he pulled Brooklyn like about a mile away from, from where, you know, almost creating a moat around itself uh, to kind of take a stance. And, and for me, I was like, that works. That totally, that, that's the statement I want to make. And then, you know, try to figure out the logistics of, well, how does, you know, Brooklyn sustain itself? Can it sustain, sustain itself? And, you know, are there farms? Can it trade? You know, what kind of flights and who, who are its residents and all that stuff? And so I started to take these little notes. And, you know, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a professor. I, I'm not going to, like, you know, logistically, realistically figure this out. But I was going with my heart and, and just playing with the idea because that's, I think, one of the best things that comics can do is just play with cool ideas and see what happens, you know, and, and, and then develop it as you go along. So that was my initial kind of throwing the gauntlet down uh, and giving this the Red Hook this background, this this story uh, that it could play off of. And and that's where we're at right now. And 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 now we're in the middle on online. I think chapter well, I don't know when the interview is going up, but as as we're talking, chapter 11 is uh, uh, up right now. And yes. um, it's a it's 12 comes be, out Wednesday. 12 comes out Wednesday. It's 26 chapters total for this first season. Oh, it'll, wow. It'll, OK. So there's a lot more story coming. And, yeah, man. Uh, and, and a few more characters are going to pop up. And uh, I'm really excited for, for this series. And, and I'm and I'm kind of glad, actually, that it's free because, uh, you know, it gets people to, to try something out that maybe they wouldn't otherwise, you know? No, definitely. And again, I um, compared to other friends that have had web comics and uh, I just think the amount of content you're giving each week. No, there's a full story here to to check out, and and God, you're only halfway through it. Holy shit! I mean, this could be a big this could be a big graphic novel when you're it, done and everything. It'll probably be about 130 pages, like you know, kind of normal size, uh, because I'm doing about four to seven pages a week, or at least that is online. I'm producing so three so chapters. four to seven four four to, if it were in other words, so if it were bound in a book, it would be four to seven pages. Yes, yes, between I suppose so because yeah, again, as you say. We're looking at it panel by panel. Right. And it just does feel a lot longer. You know, it's weird. Everyone was afraid of digital comics. I, or I should say a lot of people were afraid of digital comics replacing paper. And now that it's several years into it, it seems to have found its niche alongside of yeah. uh, paper comics. And that, no, everything's fine don't worry, paper comics are definitely not going away. Well, paper comics but, are not going to go away. I mean, and also I feel like some artists are actually doing stuff, you know, uh, on paper, for paper, so that you, you feel like this this artistic kind of like th this homemade kind of feel sometimes. And and again, how much of the, of the industry, uh, of the independent comics industry has infiltrated the mainstream, if you think about it? You know, like sure. we've gotten a lot funkier in our comics, you know, no question. I yeah, mean, go on with us growing up. You and I, there was still that that kind of um, carryover of a house style, you know, absolutely. And uh, then, no, that was going to be the word I was going to use as well. House style, right. like right. a house style, because I, I, I guess if you it don't don't if it's not broken, don't fix it type thing. Right. Yeah. But, like guys like Silver Age guys like Bob Brown. Right. You know, and, and right. taking nothing away from Bob Brown because he was a fine Silver Age artist. Right. But it was just a very basic, clean, yes. you know, kind of look. Yeah. Just standard. There's a comic book. Tell the story. Or like – but that, or even Rich Buckler who was probably, you know, charged with 
like, okay, draw this like Kirby or draw this like that guy. And then he broke yes. out. Eventually, he broke out with Deathlock, you know, and kind of found his own little niche, you know. Absolutely. Um, Alex Saviak's another guy like that. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And, and you know, almost egoless artists. And then the ego kind of crept in and, and he started to be like, oh, I'm going to buy that comic because that guy or that girl's drawing it or that guy or that girl's writing it. And then suddenly the name started to trump the title in a way, which is cool. I get it. You know, I, I want that, you know. Oh, um, yeah. But so so like this kind of like anonymous house style started to percolate into – you know, auteur-oriented uh, comics, you know? Yep. And yep. and then after a while, the ones who weren't, quote, good enough or too weird to draw mainstream comics went off to do their own stuff. And, and or because maybe they didn't want to do superhero stuff, you know? And then sure. suddenly they're being, you know, they become successful with their sensibility. Then, you know, what sometimes happens, and, and Image has been an example of this at Image Comics, is like you can do your Image series and suddenly you're being poached by a Marvel DC to go do a similar thing at, at, at their house of ideas, you know? Absolutely. And and I, I understand that as well. It's like that you, you sign people on because, you know, you build your own little fan base and people dig the the, the difference that you're bringing to the table. And then, and, and meanwhile, they got to perpetuate these 75-year-old characters anyway, month to month, you know? <laughs> so I get it. Absolutely. You know? Um but yeah, I, I and and now, like I was saying before, you don't even ever have to have read a Marvel DC comic to enjoy and make comics. You know, like that's been a while. That's been for a while now. Oh yeah, don't you think there's like a very significant new portion of the audience? They could give two shits yeah. about Superman and Spider Man yeah, and all that they stuff. Care. They're here for the comics. They're here. They're here for the the storytelling uh, format. And and they want they don't want to read superheroes they want to read different stuff. In fact, I mean maybe this is again maybe I don't care, <laughs> but like do you get into those battles? I mean I know you have your interviews and I listen to a lot of them where like oh what what they could have done better with Batman versus Superman or any kind of disgruntlement someone might have about a civil war or the movie. I'm always sure. like I'm, I'm like yeah we can we can talk about it but at the end of the day it's their characters like I'm just supposed to be here for the ride you know like if I like it or not and I just love how proprietary uh, fans can get uh, for characters that they that they're not you know hell what what happened recently where we were like what just happened recently in comics Captain America Captain hell America Hydra. Hell Hydra. I wanted to ask you about that. Go on. All right. So you're reading. You're reading that at the end. He says, "Hell Hydra." Cool. What's next? So how is yes? You know how he's in a pickle, isn't he? <laughs> Let's find out how he gets out of this pickle. Like, right? Why are people freaking out, man? Like, like, and if they are, then Marvel did their job because everyone's talking about it. So that's well, the good news, right? Here, here's here's my theory because – well, no, you go ahead and then I'll go into my – Well, my I mean I, I don't even have a theory. <laughs> it's like they're trying to sell comics, so that's what happens. So now, Oh, sure. Now they're, they're, they're giving some kind of credence to some kind of like aspect that's supposed to be uh, sacrilegious to Captain America and oh, sure. his mission statement. And at the end of the day, he's going to go back to being Captain America. That- well, of course. Well, no, I meant more the fan reaction because my thing is – I think there is a a large portion of the audience that they all like everybody likes stories especially established characters that we've been going on decades kind of reading the same stories. Mm-hmm. It's I always put it in the perils of Pauline kind of mm-hmm. or Dudley Do-Right kind of uh you know metaphor of okay, you tie Nell to the tracks, the train is coming down, Snidely twirls his mustache, Dudley comes in on the horse, 
unties Nell, punches Snidely, and throws him in jail. Or Superman crashes through the wall, unties Lois and Jimmy. Right. The crooks bounce bullets off of him for a couple seconds. He right. clunks their heads, and he flies them off to jail. Right. If you deviate from that format, there's a big part of that. Say, hey, hey, what the fuck are you supposed <laughs> to do? Superman's supposed to crush through that wall. Yeah. yeah. Don't fuck with that. Yeah. I came here for my, you know, it's it's like, uh, oh, you know. Uh, it's like vitamins. Uh, they want their vitamins. Or meat and potatoes. Yeah, meat right? and potatoes. It's yeah. meat and potatoes. I came for I came for uh, hamburger and fries. Yeah. I didn't come for your steak, uh, Alfredo, or, you know, whatever. Right, right, right. <laughs> steak Alfredo, I want that. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> Nobody came for steak Alfredo, let's be honest. <laughs> but, but, Send that back away. Yeah. But, I mean, and, and but what I don't understand, I mean, I guess it's good that the fans can be outraged and, and create a chatter and a discussion. In fact, it probably it gets people to go look at the damn thing that people are arguing about. I mean, oh, definitely. What we all sure. do is we what what are you complaining about? What is this thing? And and it creates sales. But at the end of the day, uh, what I don't like is is this for part like they have a they, like they have a right to weigh in. But I do think yes. this. I do see more and more websites doing a kind of clickbait type thing where they're like, "Hey, did you hear so and so is doing? What do you think about that?" And they're doing these polls. And I do wonder, are they doing a poll or are they doing it on behalf of the publisher so the publisher can decide what to do? I mean, not, not, it's not a conspiracy or anything, but like we're, we're handing more of the, of the keys over to the fans uh, more than ever before and including them. And again, you need the fans. You need readers. You need people to, sure. to, to buy and enjoy or hate or whatever the stuff that you make. But – I don't. I, I. I'm having a conflict with the idea of like, w- w- who gets to say what, you know? And yes, I, and at I the end of the exactly day, about, yes. but at the end of the day, the ones who are creating them are fans usually, unless you're you're doing your own comic, your own creation. Everyone who's a, a custodian of these characters started off as fans usually, sure. you know. Um. So there's a weird catch twenty two happening right there, you know. Well, um, absolutely. No, you're right. I mean, and, and like you said. It's that ownership on the fans' part. Well, part of the part of the good and bad thing about this connectivity via social media is the fans feel, I think, more part of the process than ever before. And you've also got this new segment of fans that are uh, becoming superhero converts because of the movies or the TV shows. And... They are like they don't understand. I mean, you and I—we've been on the roller coaster ride a million times, yeah. and we know that it might turn and, and be different or whatever. And and also that as as weird as Captain America saying "Hail Hydra" might seem, just relax. Yes. You know, in in in, in six or twelve issues, yes. you know, it'll change again. Don't worry about it. It'll probably change this if you don't like it. And and whereas these other people are like, "Oh my God, it's the end of the world!" Or how dare you yeah. sully the character with such an 180 degree uh character choice yeah and i know this character better than you do i am i i've been i my favorite argument and i saw dan slack poor dan slack go through this oh. with spider-man i've been right. reading this longer than you've been writing it <laughs> i have ownership of the character right. than you do. Right. right and it's yeah it's crazy but you know but and also frankly a lot more people are given voice online that you know might might have some you know just well, that's what the Different internet issues. That's what the internet allows and, and yeah. encourages. Yeah. Is everyone has a voice, and everyone does yes. have a voice. And there's a lot of haters, and a lot of people who who only use their voice in public to to, com- to complain and hate and yep. and yep. debate and and just to and to actually not even argue. 
or have a discussion. They just want to have what they have to say and then walk away. And they're just oh, yeah. there holding the bag going, wait, I thought we were arguing or we were discussing something. And no, we're not actually, I found out at all. Oh, yeah. No, you're you know? right. Because it's not It's not that uh, Steve Rogers could be gay. Right. It's, of course, Steve Rogers is gay. Right. And here's why. Right. And it's like, and and honestly, I find that interesting. Yeah. I, I Dude, everything I've ever covered, whether it's been boxing, mm-hmm. sports in general, or whatever – my attitude has always been, isn't that an interesting response? Let's look at that. Yeah. And I and I and I chime in with my two cents every now and then as well. Yeah. But I do I don't know. I'm I'm kind of here to see the car crash happen. I hate to put it in those I, terms, I, but it's I get like, it. Let's see the chaos take over and see where it goes. No, I get it. And but I do wonder if and and I hope there there's a metric for this somewhere, but like you know, are the movies generating readers? Uh, you know, are they going to the comic shop? Are they picking up the latest issue of Captain America? Or I, I don't know. You know, I I hope so. It'd be nice. Yeah, only David Gabriel knows. I know at Marvel, right? Exactly. <laughs> he's, the, he's the number cruncher. Right. But no, I no, you're right, and I and I don't know either. All I know is, um, just anecdotally, I've got friends who've got kids who have gotten into the movies. And now when they you know come to town, it's like oh by the way, what's the good comic shops? Because I got to pick up a, oh, they do. a trade for my kid. Okay, good, good. So I I do think like I said, yeah, I think you know one on one that kind of thing. I'm hearing stories like that. I don't know how much it's moving the meter. And then you know I do hear from guys like uh, like Bendis who has kids you know in in grade school and stuff. Right. And when they fi- you know when their classmates find out that. Uh, you know his 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 kid. You know their father and stuff is the guy who writes Guardians right. of the Galaxy. Right. They all line up, right. and they all, and Brian Haynes hands out comics. Right. Well, I think, and what was cool, uh, I do think like certain. I don't know. Just thinking right now. Remember when manga was very popular, and one of the reasons why it was very popular was because there'd be like twenty books of this. You know, you you could rifle through these. And, oh yeah. And then the only problem with like like superhero comics, for instance, is you you could read a couple of of collections and then suddenly the character's dead or they went through a like it gets confusing and then you know there's a a reboot or a rebirth or whatever and i think like it it gets harder to sell a a bunch of consistent superhero you know like 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 give me 20 spider-man books in a row can you do it i mean i know there's the continuity of spider-man you know, through the the old archive collection. Sure. But in the last twenty years, can you do that? That'd be a lot harder to. Feel, I agree. You know, like no, I agree because every year they they or every couple of years they they switch them up. You know, dude, in the middle of a year, are you kidding I know. me? Uh, spite that that Spider Gwen uh, series that they started, right? Uh, you know, God, uh, it really got a lot of people excited. And they literally had two number ones within like a six or eight month period. Oh, wow. And it's like, God, you're fucking yourself over by doing that. And further, you know, I'll be honest, not every story arc deserves a trade. Agreed. And, and you know, they really should cherry pick and be like, yeah, that was the best Spider-Man story this year. OK, we'll trade that. This is what I would – this is my suggestion if I was to be uh, <laughs> the publisher. King of Marvel. <laughs> yeah, the King of Marvel. It, or DC is or DC is um and for the both of them I would say you have the internet right you have comicsology so put every comic you ever made up there great wonderful you know you have everything you ever wanted and then you can use it as a resource or or reading experience whatever but when it comes to print and and killing trees um let's let us pick you know the best ones uh according not only to the publisher but maybe have 
uh, every year you have a fan based, you know, favorite picks. And they do that with DVDs. They do that with TV True. shows, you know, uh, old True. TV shows. So, I mean, and then on top of that, also, like, get back to, like, you know, I miss, like, a Paul Pope Batman or a Frank Miller, you know, like, like, get back to, like, having an auteur come in and, and who cares about continuity? Let's see their spin on this character for four or five issues and then collect that. I, 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 I love for them to do that. And hell bring back the backup feature. You know, I miss backup features. That's funny, man. I, well, I like back. I like the idea of backup features, but then I also think, and you guys obviously did that at Archie. Uh, you know, I know you had, but the backup uh, actually collided with the, at the end with the feature. So it was like a dirty secret. (laughs) Oh yeah. Well, even, you know, Snyder did that with, um, with, uh, with Batman and in detective comics. That was terrific. Cause I was going to say, man, the issue price point is just, you know, again, we're at the $5 an issue price point and that's ridiculous. I can't do it anymore. They really can't. And it's, it's going to be very interesting. I just had, I had Todd King on. I'm talking to a lot of the DC writers right now that are involved in Rebirth. Right. And, you know, they're doing a lot of double shipping. Rucka, I had Rucka on a couple months ago. Right. It's going to be very interesting to see how this pans out because on the one hand, I do think it's good because I do think the story arcs will wrap up faster. Sure. Uh, and they've obviously got rotating artists to kind of make it happen and stuff. Right. But um, right. I, I don't know. I, I also think that both DC and Marvel want the old numbers to come back as far as circulation. And the reality is... I really think we're in this new era where that's just unrealistic. And because the audience is so fragmented and stuff, it's like, yeah. well, you'll, you'll have the occasional big, big uh, number. Right. But I don't think you can go back to, you know, certainly you're not going to go back to the numbers that were there in the 80s and 90s. Well, I mean, uh, maybe, maybe you don't say issue 637, but when it's the 700th issue or the thousandth issue of something to celebrate that it hit a thousand officially, sure. then, then fine, call it that. Or have the numbering – I mean the way you should really do it is if, if it's issue 737, but it's actually the fourth uh, issue of a six-part story. Right. Why don't you just call it Spider-Man, the title of the story, part one of, right. of six, issue yes. number 737. You know, like yes. that way you know you're, you're, what the, that there's a story arc here and if you follow right. those six issues or wait for the trade if there's going to be a trade, depending not, whatever – and then continue those. So it's like two numbering systems, but I agree. the official plus the story arc that that whatever they right. end up with. I think that's no, that's I, the way to split the difference. Well, and I don't understand why they haven't done that. I, I I think you and I and others have probably suggested that over the last couple of years. Right. And uh, the only the only company that seems to do that is Dark Horse. Right. Oh, you mean like the Hellboy and and BPRD and yeah, that kind yeah, of stuff. yeah, yeah. No, they. they I mean, it's because it's it, it it's out. ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, well, and I'm glad DC went back to the old numbers because that is an accomplishment. Yes, that's that's excellent that we're going to hit Action 1000 yes. and Detective 1000 in our lifetimes. Yes. That's wonderful. Yes, no, it's very cool, and and it and it's one of the only long lasting kind of think about that. You know, th- these comics have been coming out every month, <laughs> every month, dude. For as they've long outlasted Newsweek. They've, I mean, that's the thing. Think of the major magazines yeah. that are no longer on newsstands. Right. And meanwhile, Action and Detective are still chugging along. Right, right. that's fantastic. It, it is a, a, a it's a world record type, you know, Guinness. Yes. Style. Yeah. Uh, it's very very cool. And I mean, the only disappointment I have uh, in in thinking about this is the fact that they're not producing, uh, still producing a monthly Fantastic Four comic, which is my 
growing up. That was my comic book. I hear you, man. You know? No, I hear you. No, and we've talked about your love for yeah. the FF. So, it's certainly the thing. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know? And, so I'm a little bummed out right now with that. Uh, and, and Because what? <laughs> because of higher ups, like, are pissed off that somebody has the, the movie rights. To That's ridiculous. How does agree that with impact you, man. the comics? The comics are very different. You know, that's the whole I hear point. You. So anyway, I have a great FF idea that can bring him back and, and whatever. Marvel will never never let me do it. So <laughs> have you have you pitched it already to him? Um I have not pitched it. I, I alerted Mark Wade to it and he loved it. So it'd be a like I would I, I would co plot it. I mean I already come up with the initial idea and I would love to co plot it with, with Wade coming in and, and finessing it and then writing uh-huh. awesome dialogue and doing what he does best, you know? Well, he's there, and he certainly has a good track record with the FF. I know, I, I know. Think, I think Axel, you got a good relationship with Axel? I mean, I of course. I, I know I know him. I, I don't know if I skirt the edges too much. I mean, I, I feel like at best, I will— In what way? In what way do you think you skirt the edges? All right, so I had, I, obviously it's clear that I love the Silver Age, and like I have more of a Silver Age style— and so with like, you know, but with a gritty kind of black and white 80s indie kind of, you know, uh, flair, as it were. Right. Right. And I, there's no way in hell I can draw the way the current superhero artists draw. I, that's just like this bizarre, like other level of drawing uh, skill set that I just don't have or nor want to, to be honest. It's just too, too intensive, you know? Yeah. But there are guys that are younger than you that are very individualistic in their in their art styles. Declan Shalvey, Trad Moore, yes, yes. Uh, Chris Somney. Chris, Chris, Chris evokes, yeah, Somney evokes the Silver Age and yet, you know, has a very modern style. So, right. no, and in fact, if there's of the two, I would think that Marvel is the place that is more welcoming yeah, to agreed. the individual agreed. art style and everything. No, I was going to say, I think that if, at, at best, and it would be an honor, uh, I could probably stand next to maybe like a Mike Allred and, and the late Darwin Cook at best. Yes. You know, yeah. uh, and but meanwhile, I think those guys have somehow carved out some kind of niche readership market that Marvel uh, can rely on. Uh, and that's about it. I think after that, Chris Samney, is, 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 well, he's another guy. He's another guy that, you know, as you said, uh, kind of skirts, uh, evokes a Silver Age style. But really, it's 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 like kind of like a neo Alex Toth. Where he finally, Absolutely. Where finally, Toth is getting the respect he, that I don't know if he got in his career, not 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 from other artists, but maybe from fans, because I think fans don't don't care; they just want something that looks cool, you know. And, oh, I don't know, man, because again, like you know, Somni had that great run on Daredevil. He's yes. on Black Widow now. Yes, um, he's amazing. I mean, that's the thing. I think I think they're giving him. You know, well, and that's him and Wade, obviously, too, saying right, what you guys want right, to do next. Right, right. But um, well, you know, and he bef- even before that, he was he was doing Ultimate Spider-Man with Bendis. Yes. Uh, yeah. You know, and 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 also when they'd have the anniversary uh, issues, Chris would always have like an interesting yes uh, story because he did that one kind of that that it was all it, it like ran through the Silver Age and it was all these various moments right. like you saw the FF in their rocket right you know before they get before they get bombarded with the cosmic rays right. Right. and just like little little cute moments like that or or Peter and Uncle Ben walking in through the park and Peter's a little kid and stuff like right. that right no i mean you know? i mean but he he but he also is at a level that's that's beyond you know something i can do like like that's the thing it, it, it's funny like i was hanging out with with Howard Chaikin uh, a couple of weeks ago in Philadelphia, and okay. and you know I'm not as pompous and I don't have the bravado <laughs> that Howard has, and he's amazing. You know, like like 
he talks the talk. I mean, have you ever talked to Howard? Uh, absolutely. I okay. love talking to Howard. He, he's amazing. But even he was showing signs of like uh, being humble. In, and like, you know, he used to work in television many years ago, as you know. For, yes, he for, did. Mutant X and uh, The Flash, the original right. Flash TV show. And I, and I asked him, I said, well, why don't you work in television now? He's like, oh, no, I couldn't write like that. That's that's a whole other level of uh, and skill set of writing, and I'm looking at him going, Howard Chaykin is is, is being humble <laughs> and, and and saying he's not as good as what they're doing today, and I don't believe that. I think he could, but just this this understanding that like you know things go through transitions and they get to different levels, and and like I, I had to respect that he felt that way, you know. Uh, well, I kind of I two things with that. Yeah. First of all, I think Howard went through the buzzsaw. With TV, sure. the TV gigs he got. On the one hand, it was great that he because there was also Earth Final Conflict. I remember he was involved with that show. Right. So he's involved some, with some interesting syndicated shows, Mutant X being another one. Right. And there were a lot of extenuating circumstances. Certainly with Mutant X, right. you had Fox and Marvel fighting over and and Tribune right. what they could and couldn't do right. in the TV series. Then yeah, you know, Flash got jerked around by CBS and stuff, right. and really didn't find its footing beyond the season and a half that it did get on the air. Um, and and Earth Final Conflict. I mean, you know, I I don't know the inner workings of that. So there's all that, but also, unfortunately, I think in TV, uh, and maybe it is finally changing a bit. Mm-hmm. But I know there's always been a lot of ageism in TV as well. Well, yeah. So I think they're, they're, if, if Howard doesn't have a younger. Right godfather to kind of say oh no i want howard on my show because he's awesome because on the, uh, flying in the face of that dave thomas from bob and doug mckenzie and sctv has been doing uh he's been writing for um bones mm. for like the last three or four years right. and is and it, that's awesome he's in his 60s and he's a i mean dave thomas is one of the best comedy writers and just pure writers period in television right. And it, it was so cool to hear on a, on an interview. I had no idea. And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, I've been working on Bones like for the last three years. And it's fun. And I enjoy it. And I write episodes. And it's like, good for you, man. Right, You're right, awesome. Right. And it's so so who knows? But and, and, you know, Howard, Howard could beat himself up, too, for all that, you know, all right. that said and everything. Well, he's and, still a genius. No, he's still. A, <laughs> I mean, and this is the thing I wanted to say is like, OK, yes, writing comics is different from writing TV and movies and just like different from writing prose and all that. But right. like American Flag is still one of the top ten comics of all time, of and course. it's still ahead of its time, you know. And I feel anytime, like anytime Howard writes something new, he's got my attention. But go absolutely, ahead. and I was going to say, ultimately, uh, maybe it was the shows he worked on, just kind of like you know Alex Toth, one of the greatest cartoonists of all time. A lot of the stuff that he drew were uh, the stories, maybe were a little schlocky. Maybe they weren't yes. up, up to snuff to what he, what he brought and how he uplifted the story with his art and his storytelling. But maybe at the end of the day, the reason why he doesn't have his Dark Knight or he didn't have his Dark Knight, he had his Bravo for Adventure, but still nobody knows Bravo for Adventure, you know? Right, only us, yeah, only us, us. Toast Geeks. Exactly. Go on. And, and so, like, you know, he doesn't have those, those, those stories and comics that recommend him as an author, you know, Alex Toth. But Howard, right. Howard does – so maybe at the at a time when he got into television, you know, he was working on fun shows, uh, and maybe there's a certain nostalgia for Flash and some of the comics. But he wasn't working on on shows that were up, I think, to his skill set of being Absolutely. such an amazing writer and and Absolutely. forward thinker and the things he, he. I mean, have a discussion with him now, and you, and you're gobsmacked. You know, you're just like, what? Oh my oh, god! Dude, you know, he's amazing. Right, two December's ago, he came to Chicago for a comic book signing at Art and Franco's. Uh, mm-hmm. Store the mm-hmm. Tiny Titans guys, and we had dinner and stuff. 
and yeah, man, I'm I'm pleased to say that I can kind of like keep up with Howard in terms of <laughs> like I'm like because I'm like uh, he goes, did you read the Bob Hope biography? I'm like, I just finished it. Oh, what did you think? Right. You know, so I could talk. You know, we can talk old movies. We could talk yes. old, you know, mystery writers and stuff. Yes. So no, I hear what you're saying. The guy's a genius. Yeah, he's he, an absolute genius. He's hard to keep up with. And I, and I, when I was recently having dinner with him with a group of people, and he holds court. You know, the minute he opens oh, his yes. mouth, it's like, oh boy, here we go. Right. You want the you want the Chaykin show? You know, yeah, go <laughs> Chaykin show. And I remember. As we were talking, I was I was also in the back of my mind trying to figure out a way to trump him with a better story than all the ones he was saying. And I and I got him. I did get him. I'm not gonna be able to say it here because it, it was a very heartfelt story. But I think right. I think I won that melee that that evening. Even though he he told great stories, I remember thinking, damn, what can I say that's gonna make him pause? And make him, you know, reconsider an idea or something like that. And and it, it, it's a great challenge because it uplifts you uh, at, at the table, you know, uh, sure. in, in the conversation. <laughs> and it's, anyway, I, I don't know how he does it because he's, he's always on when he's around. You know? Well, but he's but, you know, again, he's he's a little older than us and he's lived life and yeah. he's and he's kind of. Oh, but he's you voracious. Know. He's voracious. Like like I realized recently that half the things he references are critical theory. And I, and I asked him, I said, why? Why are you always constantly reading some kind of critical theory so you can, like, have your own, you know, uh, create your own sensibility, have your own, you know, uh, understanding of, of that? And why is that so important to you? And he, and he basically admitted that he grew up in a ghetto and he grew up poor and, and you know, he wanted to get himself out of that mindset. And I think it's, it's, it's kind of like his, um, his rosebud, you know, like he – wants to be better and wants to be smarter than maybe the opportunity he was originally given. Understood. Absolutely. No, he's self, you're right. Self-made, self-taught. And uh, yeah, but I mean, no, that's great though. And I mean, and also it's good to have, we need critical thinkers, you know, we we need, we need people to kind of push because too many other people settle. I I got into a a small argument this weekend about the new Star Trek movie Mm -hmm. because Chris Pine said on the record, you know, you can't make smart Star Trek for today's movie audiences. Oh, wow. Okay. And I, exactly, man. I'm like, then you, sir, don't get Star Trek. Yeah. I look Uh, forward to your last movie. No offense. Right. Go on with the beautiful people and make bad Reese Witherspoon movies. Wow. Yeah. No, I mean, it just really disappointed me because it's like, man, you don't get it. Well, okay. Let's, 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 let's give (laughs) him, let's give him an out. Maybe what he meant to say is that is, uh, Maybe what he's trying to say is – and I'm going to use a really bad example right now, okay? To- Go for it. Tony Curtis once was quoted as saying <laughs> that – I love the beginning of that sentence, but go was on. was once quoted as saying that kissing Marilyn and Some Like It Hot was like kissing Hitler. Yes. And that's like the worst thing you could ever possibly say, right? And right. what he meant apparently <laughs> was, oh my god, it's like – Kissing someone that's so famous and so uh, in another plane, another world, that he was nervous. He was, it, 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 he couldn't even. It was hard for him to be in the moment. But you don't use Hitler, you know? No, that's not what it's like, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> but I would say no. Okay, right. yes, I would agree. <laughs> but apparently, right? But apparently, uh, it, it, what he meant was, and that's why it's a bad example. So I'm wondering what Chris Pine was basically saying is, you know how like some of the best episodes of Star Trek are kind of like Twilight Zones. You know, they're like they're yes. very philosophical. And yes. it's, it's more of uh, William Shatner really bringing his A-game and Spock, you know, confronting him and McCoy. And like less action, more thought, you know. And, and so what I'm positing, possibly not knowing Chris Pine and what his intent was, 
was I'd like to think that what he meant was that an audience won't settle for a philosophical Star Trek. Yeah, that's I, I do think that is what he was saying. And I and he said you have to kind of hide it in the subtext and have the big explosions right. and all that. Right. And and I'll I mean I'll judge the movie when it comes right. out. Right. I just I just think that um you know the Martian last year was a great smart movie. Oh, it's I think great. Gravity okay. was a great smart movie. Okay, you know what I'm glad we're talking about this because you know what I saw for the first time a week ago. Tell me, Star Trek the movie. I had not. I have seen every other Star Trek movie except you never saw the original movie. Never saw Go the on. first one. And right. I remember when I, I think I had an allergic reaction to the bald woman. I don't know why when I was younger. <laughs> I just I the, I, the late the late Persis Kambata exactly who's beautiful, you know. And anyway, beautiful so, Iranian actress. Yes, and it is. and so um so I I might have had an allergic reaction, and then later on, all my friends told me, "Oh my god, that's the most boring movie I've ever seen." And I was like, "What are you talking about? How?" And then how do you go make a whole bunch of other movies after that? So I finally got it, and I finally watched it, and oh my god, it's like a two-hour and ten-minute quaalude. But it is. But I had to look it up online because now we have the internet, and I discovered that it was originally derived from a, a pilot episode that was going to be not Star Trek: The Next Generation, but something called Star Trek Phase Two. Yep. And it was called In Thy Image, and if you were to you know, hack and slash at the movie, you could probably come up with a really good episode of Star Trek. You know? Exactly. And that's yes. what that's what it was. And so as I was watching it, I was trying to edit it and cut the fat as it was coming on and then realizing, oh, wait, no, there's actually a really cool story inside this movie somewhere. You know? No, you're right. You're and, right. and that is the philosophical Star Trek that Chris Pine is saying that we couldn't have that movie today, I don't think. Well, again, I think with judicious editing, you could have. And also, right, right. the other thing about the first movie, and, and here's my my like theory on the first movie, okay. it opens up the character of Spock. And what happens in the first movie to Spock explains the character for as long as Nimoy continued to play the You're character. Right. Because when he touches V'ger, he understands. And he understands why he needs his human side right. more than ever. Right. And that's why he's crying, and that's why he grabs Kirk's hand when he's recovering from touching V'ger, and he's like, it doesn't understand what I understand. Right. And now I get who I am. Right. And, and then further, it, it's what makes uh, Wrath of Khan an even better movie, because while Kirk is worried about, am I getting too old for this shit, right. Spock is like, hey, I know who you are. You may not, you may not be sure of yourself, but I'm right. telling you, you can still do this. We can still do right. this. And and the subtext of that movie until Spock sacrifices sacrifices himself is everything's fine. I'm right next to you. I am your right hand. Yes. I've got. It. Don't worry. We are going to come up with a solution to this. And they do it. And with every problem that happens, it just shows you once again. Spock, what do we do? We do this. Yes, you're right. Of course we do. And and, it's and, then, and then when he and then he yeah. finally you know gets to the point and they explode the planet and Khan is dead and he looks for his right hand and Spock's not there. Yeah. Holy shit! What just happened, yeah. Jim? You got to come down here. Something terrible uh, just happened. It, it's, and then he loses Spock and it's like, yeah. oh my god! And that's why I hate Star Trek Into Darkness because they try with fan service to evoke those feelings with Quinto and Pine right. and it's like. The difference is these guys, Shatner and Nimoy, it was over 20 years. Yes. These two guys just met each other. Yes. It both both 
as actors, but even more importantly, in the story, because it's only like six months after the first I know, movie. I know that, that. So it's just like, ah, no, I'm my yeah. best friend. Bullshit, you're my best friend. I just, I just met you. Right. No, that, that's why that <laughs> doesn't work. Agreed. And and again, I mean, there's a lot of polish, and there's a lot of like, I, I I'm very forgiving for a lot of stuff like that. But the, nothing beats that original Rathacon story. And 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 the amazing thing is, who has the most empathy? It's Spock. At the end of the day, yes. has the most empathy of all yes. characters. Uh, well, that's he can't every movie. Yeah, every movie, uh, the undiscovered country, and he's and he's ready to give you know his his position to um, Kim Cattrall, Belarus. Right, and it's just like, and she's like, but logic this. He's like, not nah, logic's just the start. Right, that's that's where we start. We we you know the real enlightenment it is expect, accepting who you are, accepting who we are, and all that. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like Spock's already on his path. Right. And then like is like no, I understand myself now in a way I never did before. So that's another saving grace for the first movie. And, what do you and, think of Robert? Go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say, just to bring it around a little bit, like one of the things that I always care about, whether it's been in my Billy Dogma or the Fox or any kind of short story I do for Marvel and DC, whenever I'm able to to at least plot, if not write the, the story I'm drawing, is empathy, is like a, 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 you have to care. It, otherwise the fight scene doesn't matter. You know, the conflict doesn't matter without caring about uh, the stakes and who these characters are. And I know you know that and I know that. But I've read too many comics where, or I've seen too many movies where they just care about the stunts. And, yes. and I don't care about – the stunt doesn't matter without uh, you caring about the if that person's going to – or that character is going to get hurt or not. And so, you know, what I'm trying to do as much as it's a roller coaster ride in, in The Red Hook is I'm trying to slowly but surely, as you're meeting these characters and going for the ride, kind of like that little origin story that, you know, the boxing back uh, backstory for the Red Hook, is to give you a, a, a dollop, a little bit of something to, to cling on to so that you do care about what's going to happen next. And it's going to go get a little crazier, and but I'm still going to keep, you know, injecting uh, th- this, like, long story with these moments of, like, let's stop for a second. Who is this person? What do they want? What do they need? Okay, now we continue to go forward, you know, and see if they can get there. And 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 change changes always uh, the reason for these longer stories. Kind of like we're talking about Spock. Spock, you know, changed in Star Trek the movie. You know, altered his character from the TV show, and then it yep. continued to be kind of like the Spock story throughout all, even up to the new movies. You know, uh, absolutely, yes. Boy, he was going through transition in the new movies. Absolutely. So it, it, it's it's beautiful, and I, I try to use that as as a way to re- remind myself as as a writer, like why are we doing this, and what what matters, you know, and try to tell stories that mean something. Well, and the Red Hook's own uh, transition uh, through fault of conflict. Right. I won't I won't spoil for people who aren't aren't caught up. Right. Yeah, he is he is he is emotionally compromised and has to act because he has no choice. Well, he has no choice, but then what is that going to mean later? Like, okay, right. you, I put a, you put a gun to my head and I have to go save people. That's probably not the worst thing in the world. You know, like, okay, I guess, but it does compromise your life. And then I'm going to start playing with the, the idea. And again, for, for those who want, who want to read the comic and find out, I don't want to spoil too much either, but it's up there for free. Um, right. You know, uh, put yourself in that position. What, what would happen to you, and where is that going to go? And, and little by small, as the story uh, unfolds, we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm going to discuss some of this stuff, and then I've set a precedent so that I can try and tell a bunch more stories. In a way, I'm hoping that the Red Hook is what Billy Dogma can't be, and that is 
uh, the possibility of having a franchise here because I have a lot of stories I can tell in this premise. Whereas with Billy Dogma, it's kind of like something I, I visit every so often with a rare, oh, a rare little gem, a story, another story about his relationship with Jane Legit and 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 their love story. But that yep. could that couldn't be a twelve issues a year. I, I couldn't sustain I that, you know. But with the Red sure. Hook, I feel like. I've introduced a bunch of characters. I've introduced the world. We've got other people coming in playing with like the Purple Heart, the Brooklyn Knight. Uh, I, I've also talked to Adam McGovern uh, and, uh, about creating a character, and I've got some other folks. You know, it could truly expand into its own little real universe of comics. And, and fingers crossed, I, I know it's tough to compete with Marvel and DC and Archie, with, with at least in terms of the superhero genre. But I think that, you know... Uh, I think in a way Marvel and DC are, are, you know, transitioning into film because that's what people do. They watch stuff, you know, they like to sit sure. back and have the story be told to them. Uh, and that, that's not, I'm not trying to take away from comics. It's just that comics, comics have become a harder sell, you know, in a way um, people like to dress up like the characters and they like to know the three different stories about the characters. So they get enough of a sensibility and then move on. And then TV has become, actually are more literary it's been it's more of a novelistic Great. approach you know absolutely that, that movies can't do and 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 i know that marvel's been doing a really amazing job with how they are un, un, unfolding you know unfurling their 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 stories uh, in a cinematic yes. way and i really absolutely. congratulate them but and hopefully dc will be able to do the same thing i i have faith you know I hope so too, and I, you know, yeah, we we kind of casually bumped over Batman, Superman, and I agree with you. It's their choice yeah. to do what what they will. Yeah. It's just I'm really interested in seeing that director's cut of uh, of Batman, Superman. Well, I'll tell you what I think, and uh, here's the fanboy. Here he comes. Um, <laughs> and and I don't have a a full thesis because you'd probably have to pay me to figure this one out. But if everyone who's seen the movie, and and I don't know if it's much of a spoiler to say that Lex Luthor creates Doomsday, you know, or a monster right. of sorts. Right. But that was the wrong – that's not what he should have created. What would have been interesting for the thesis of the story is, okay, so a guy named Superman gets into a big fight, right, and, right. and destroys a lot of the city, and uh, uh, Bruce Wayne uh, loses a lot of people, you know, and right. gets really right. pissed off at who the hell is this guy that comes out of nowhere, this alien – and, you know, uh, dis- destroys, you know, a lot of a lot of stuff. And he gets really pissed off. And I understand that because he's a pissed off Batman at that age. You know, he's an older. Yes. Pissed, and I get that. You don't have to explain that to me. I totally get that. OK. Now, what is everyone really actually afraid of is, OK, there's a young guy who has these amazing powers who doesn't really know how to use them yet. I know Mark Wade would hate me. He's like, no, he'd figure out a way to not kill uh, uh, Zod. Zod. You know, kill Zod. (laughs) And I get it. I understand that stance. But, okay, he did kill Zod. So, But that's because he's very green. He doesn't know what he's doing yet. And he will never do it again. Here's the example of why, okay? Because killing is bad and and that kind of stuff. Right. So, all right. So what, what we're dealing with in Batman versus Superman is like, what are people really f- afraid of and what is actually alien is how altruistic and hopeful the idea of Superman is. Like in a bleak world, people like can't believe that that really exists. Like why would somebody from another planet come and help us? What do sure, they want? Paranoid. That's right. what's alien and that's what's How scary. do we trust him? How do we trust right. him? So 
uh, what do you do? You get some of his DNA, you put it in and make a monster, and the monster isn't Doomsday, it's Bizarro. True. They, they should have made a, a, a Superman that's acutely opposite of what he is, and let that that's the fight scene. That's the battle right there. Is what is Bizarro and and and, and you know if he's supposed to be the exact opposite of Superman, how do you play with that in this in this time frame and, and in this discussion of what is a hero? You know, and that I agree. because I agree. with Doomsday, he's just a guy who explodes and gets mad and, and he just hates. I mean, and in a way, that's the Internet right there. But <laughs> you know, so maybe he's fighting the Internet at that point, you know, but um, I, awesome. I just think that they, that's where they could have really pushed the idea a little bit better and stronger. Is that, is, and, and again, I don't exactly have uh, my thesis, you know, uh, written down or, anything, worked, out. or okay. worked out. But I just think that that's where it should have been like. No, I get that. No, I totally get that. Could have been a Frankenstein Superman, you know, and what is sure. that about, you know? Well, and they even they did that in Mark Miller's uh, Red Sun. Right. Right. You know, that's what Luther does. This tries to create, a, you know, an American version of Superman and he comes up with Bizarro. Exactly. See, and, and for me, I thought Jeff Johns solved the Luther problem as far as how to uh address him in an adult way and you make him a xenophobic Steve Jobs and no, say, that, "Look, Yes, I'm just Lex Luthor trying to make a better society for humanity. Right? How do we trust this xenophobe? You know, this alien that that does promise, you know, to have all these solutions and stuff. Can we trust him? And that he could appeal to Bruce Wayne on that xenophobic level and go, Bruce, you saw all the damage he did, mm-hmm. and and do it in a much more sober and 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 you know that kind of as deceptive as we know Luthor would be, but on the fr- on the front of it at least be very. Bruce, I don't know what to do. You're a smart guy too. Right. Look at this alien. How do we trust this guy? Right. And, I, and I'm coming to you for help. And that Bruce, not knowing what Lex might be about, right? You know, could just be like, yeah, I don't know, Lex. I'm gonna, you know, or I'm gonna think about it. Or yeah, I kind of agree with the guy, and I know he's up to something, but I also see I'm afraid as well. And I and and yeah. and that would have made sense. And I don't think you needed a big, giant, ugly monster. You didn't need and really have played it again. Played it more on a smarter psychological level. Right, and that's what they're afraid of. And also, I wouldn't have played Luther like he was Superman's Joker either. But whatever. Oh my god, dude! It was like the worst, <laughs> the worst aspects of the old. And I love the '66 Batman show. Yeah. But he was acting like a '66 Batman villain. I know. And and honestly. It, it. I was very. I. I won't deny it. I was really angry. I was really, really angry because it's. Just, it's such a missed opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because Cavill's. I think Cavill's a great Superman. I, listen, I think the, he was so emasculated by that that characterization in the in the movie. Yes. And I, I'll tell you though, I did walk away going, "Damn, Ben Affleck is Batman," and he did a great job. And I, you know something, I kind of felt like he would as well because again. He's a comic book fan. He understands the character. Yeah. Now, this was a very extreme Batman. I know he used yeah. guns. Yeah. But like you said, too, he was kind of burnt out. And like, you know, I tried to fight the good fight. I'm kind of done with the good fight. Yeah, that, he's burnt out. And, and actually, my favorite scene is early on when um, they, they the two cops come up and they heard a disturbance. And they're walking in and they see a bunch of women in a, in, in a jail in a cage. Yep. And they don't speak English and they're trying to figure out what's going on. They hear some screams upstairs. And they they go to help the women out the cage, and they realize that the cage is actually open. And then the woman pulls it back closed, and she just points her finger upstairs because she's afraid of what is up there. And what they're afraid of is Batman. And that's yep. that's terrifying. I mean, and that's what Batman should be. He should make people afraid. He's not your friend. 
<laughs> you know, he's there to stop the bad guy. Okay. And, right. and, and I really like that idea of, of like, wow, even the people he saved are afraid of him. That's interesting. You know, that's an absolutely idea. So no, agree. You know, uh, Darwin, Darwin had that in new frontier. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's the thing. So were you close to Darwin, man? Um, I, I, every time I saw him, he was such a gentleman to me and, and not to toot any horns, but he always loved and told me how much he loved what I did on Cuba, my revolution. Uh, awesome. It was just one of his faves. I couldn't believe it because he's such a master cartoonist. And yeah. I, I don't feel that way about my stuff at all. But, hey, I'll take it, especially coming from him. And then when Seth uh, Kushner and George Foles – we're doing uh, the Roman nose and we all agreed, Oh, we got to get Darwin to do the cover and emailed Darwin. Darwin said yes. And provided an amazing cover for one of, oh, that's fantastic. one of Seth's last comics that he did while he was alive. That's actually wow. on comicsology. And, wow. and so I, you know, he, he was a great guy and, and I don't know all the stories about him and I know he was a tough cookie and all that <laughs> jazz and Hey, I relate. So, you know, uh, he's he's a human being too, and 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 sure. I don't know. I I I can't believe, I can't believe the day I found out that he had cancer, he died of cancer. I can't believe that. But that's I understand. I know. I felt the same way because you know you hear repetitive care, and you're like, yep. oh well, you know, some people can. I yeah. mean, you know, even even Seth. You know, Seth was able yep. to get out of the hospital yep. and was yep. in remission for a little while. And yep. Yep. So yeah, I was no, hoping. I, know, man. I was hoping, but yeah, that that's not the best word to you know. With yeah. palliative care, I think it's called palliative care. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, palliative care. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, well, and that's why. But but they used. But they said palliative care versus hospice because when you hear hospice, you you know people it. know what it means. Yes, it's like yeah, you're right. They're they're dying. I yes. mean that's just the way it is. Yes. And that's why palliative care. You're like oh well, you know there's there's, there's a, a little glimmer, there's a little bit of a hope. Yeah. So yeah, but yeah. we we lost one of the greats, and and I yeah. I wish there was God. I mean if talking about like you know what what do you make a, a collection or what what is a perennial new frontier is a perennial they oh, they, yeah. they that should be a, a tv series uh you know right now you know uh not, yeah not yeah. even as no, a cartoon movie. but a live action like use no and stories. i agree with well i agree on both i agree on both counts absolutely man you know I, yeah the cartoon is the cartoon was actually very good they was, did a good job great. and and in fact i was inspired by new frontier what I, I do have a pitch out there uh, at DC and they don't do, you know, that's what that would be. I mean, what I would do would probably be considered an else world or not a real continuity story. You know, but it would be my, my story about, uh, Batman, Superman and the JLA. And my, my spin on it is to take a autobiographical or uh, a memoir style, uh, where it's, it's, uh, it, it's all the characters, but without their superpowers, but they all uh, have the sensibilities of the characters and there is kind of a superhero type story that happens. It's kind of like a cross between um, Sullivan's Travels and On the Road, but with with Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent uh, in the summer of uh, uh, summer of love. And and I, I have this amazing pitch that that you know maybe one day DC will let me do it. Uh, I've already talked to a couple of editors and they really like it, but they don't know where it fits. So uh, maybe one day they'll find a way to make it fit somewhere, you know? And yeah, man. It. I mean, that's, you know, Darwin, certainly New Frontier wasn't part of continuity and everything. And they, right, right. man, you know, the thing that I, I just remember, and it was one of the first times I, I started talking to Darwin, was when the floppies were coming out of, of his issues. And he was so mad because he really wanted it to be prestige for him at each oh, issue. Right. 
and, and but wanted to keep the price point down because he was just scared. Right. And he's just like, I don't know if you know they're going to want to buy. Right. You know, a ten dollar book or whatever. You know, and he's like, so keep the price low. Yep. Well, they had to make it a floppy, and he was just like, oh man. Yeah. You know, you think somebody wants a 64-page comic like that? And that, the answer, of course, was like, yeah, we yeah, do. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. Everything's going to be fine. Yeah. And, it, you know, and thank God it was the hit that it was. And I've got my absolute yeah. new frontier and everything. And no, it's great. man. I also bought the uh, the Graphic Ink uh, collection oh, so do I. of a bunch of his. Oh, it's so good. It's man. right behind so my head, good. right here at, at the art at the studio. And it's sitting on my it's sitting on my coffee table. So yeah, I know what you mean. No, man. he's it's too he's much. One of the one of the greatest, and I'm and I, and we're we, it, it's a privilege to have him have graced comics. You know, I agreed. I do wish that he had done more stuff at Marvel that like like how he did uh, at DC. Oh, that's interesting. You know, sure. Sure, because yeah, I don't know. Did he have? I don't even know what beef, if any, he had at Marvel. I think he had a beef with uh, some folks about doing uh, a more young adult line of comics, and then they said that he, they weren't going to use them, and then he found out later they used all his ideas or something. Something happened. Oh shit! So oh, there you go. But that's 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 other dirty laundry. That there you go. All right, so something happened there, and I know he started off doing stuff there, and then never went back. So. But and then his stuff with Jimmy and on Jonah Hex, uh, unbelievable. oh my God, yes, yes, yeah, yeah, unbelievable. So well, J- you know, Jimmy really got so many great artists. I'm surprised that you didn't do a. You a know, Jonah Hex. it's funny. I kept teasing Jimmy, and you know, I would love to do a Jonah Hex, and what? Then the one I wanted to do, and I threw this idea, and I don't know how he would have worked it out. I wanted Jonah Hex to meet the unknown sh- soldier or do an unknown soldier. Jonah Hex story. I don't know how it would have worked, you know, but like, maybe, would you have, yeah. You know, do you like come a, up with like a civil war unknown soldier? Either or, a uh, civil war unknown soldier or I mean, maybe, maybe time travel would have been too. Sure. Well, you know, he had time. He, he put Jonah Hex in modern day. Gotham and, and, and then that great. did happen. So that was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the one I want to do is I, and I, and I remember emailing about that and, and honestly, I just don't – I don't know if I fit at DC. I mean, I, as you know, I've done some DC stuff, but I get regulated to the side either because of my skill set or the type of stuff, the way I draw or because it evokes a certain – like, again, I don't have that Mike Allred, uh, Darwin Cook, Chris Samney kind of cachet, you know? Um, well, I understand. I, I, I think that's – kind of dumb because i think you've got you've got the style man well, and it's great thank and you absolutely man well maybe, maybe the course. red hook will, will change that maybe they'll, they'll maybe. see something in that and who knows you know. well and i was gonna i was gonna say earlier man why not look at what kirkman did with invincible oh yeah and his entire invincible universe and everything yeah i mean so yeah that's that's great again and, it's, it's hard to compete because i don't have the the pajamas and and the uh the lunch boxes that go uh with all uh those characters that everyone grew up loving but I do think we do have room. Uh, hell, didn't Hellboy just just kind of stop? Uh, yes. So I think yes. we have we have one more spot to fill. There you go. So, <laughs> Hellboy <laughs> fans are welcome. Yeah, may, maybe uh, Red Hook will fill the the Hellboy spot someday. I don't know. But uh, and and by the way, of course, Hellboy's going to come back, just like uh, Captain America isn't a Hydra agent. You know? I mean, come this on. It's true too. So this is um, no, I agree with that. But you know, I yeah. well, I hope. Uh, I hope that uh, you know you you stick with it and you you get you get a nice long tail of uh, trades and and you know I think the people will come. I hope so. And and the other quick thing I just want to let you know is I uh, yeah we don't, we can go as long or as short as you want. Man. Oh yeah no no I, I I'm I'm getting bugged here at the studio. I think I should uh, oh, okay but hop off in a minute. But 
I just want to let y'all know that I uh, I did I'm going to be in the next issue of Heavy Metal. Uh, hey, that's awesome! Issue number two eighty one, I believe, or two eighty two. I forget. It's, it's the one that's going to debut at uh, San Diego. Uh, Fantastic! It's, it's apparently it's the Sex Special, uh, and it's uh, reprinting a, a rare Billy Dogma story that not a lot of people saw called The Last Romantic Antihero that you may have seen, but I don't think a lot of other people have seen. Okay. And then Fantastic. I also did a collaboration with a, a really um, cool porn star named Stoya, and uh, I adapted one of uh, her essays into a four-page comic for Heavy Metal. So I'll have about 15 pages in that issue. And, That's awesome. Um, <laughs> and uh, what else? Oh, and my buddy David Trussman. Uh, is doing a really uh, uh, controversial kind of comic called Godslap uh, at godslap.com or godslapcomics.com, something like that, that I, I help I help co-plot uh, and co-create, but he's doing all the hard work. And uh, anybody listening to this wants to go check out Godslap, that's another free uh, web comic that's online. So, All right, very cool. Godslap right. and, and heavy metal stuff. Are you going to San Diego? You know, um, I was kind of invited – to go, but uh, I don't know about the funds in terms of getting I, there. Not I, paying. Dino, I hear you. I'm, I'm doing Airbnb. I know exactly right. what you're going through. Go and I, I think I haven't been there in a decade now. I think I've wow. been for a while. So uh, it's, it's due uh, for me to, to uh, show up and, and navigate the, those halls, but um, I don't think I'll be there this year. I'll, I'll, I'll be at Baltimore Comic Con. I'm doing two more Wizard Worlds. I'm doing Chicago. I'll, maybe I'll see you at uh, Wizard Worlds. All right, now I'm gonna, all right, now I will. I blew off last year's, but I will come to this year. All right, now. so then I'll see you there. Uh, I think in August, and then, okay, um, cool. and then, and actually, <laughs> I might even be able to get you, uh, get you in. So let's talk. Um, oh, you, you should be able to get in on your own credentials. Hey, well, uh, hey, man. If I mean, you guys seem to be uh, handling uh, the wizard programming fine in terms of panels. Yes. But if you need a moderator, I'm happy to. Uh, I'm happy uh, to moderate. All right. Let, let me. Let me. Uh, let me talk to Danny Fingeroth, who's who's my. There you go. You know, seriously, I really have to like talk to Danny because um, I know it, it's Dinah Schutz had told me that uh, Danny is trying to get together like a database of interviews and stuff like that. And I, okay. and I think that's really necessary. And yes. I've been meaning to like have a face to face with Danny. So that's another excuse for me to go to. And work. actually you should maybe have him on the show and talk to him. I mean, well, ultimately I would like to have Danny on the show because I loved right now. And of course I loved his comic book work, but really I, I loved what he was doing with that uh, tomorrow's magazine right yes. now. Yes. And I was very sad that it ended. And I'm like, Oh, that was, a, that was great. I've, I've met him a couple of times just real fast. Right. Uh, but yeah, and I and he oh, may not even remember it stuff. But no, I really do want to talk. He has lots of stories, as you know. In fact, didn't they just announce that the new Spider-Man story is like a a clone saga of sorts? Yeah, yeah. You know, he was the editor on the very <laughs> much on how the infamous clone saga, infamous, infamously hated, but always talked about clone saga. You know, is so, it interesting as as hated as it was? The amount of Ben Riley fans out there that absolutely love Ben Riley, and it's like, yes. hey, don't talk shit about Ben Riley. <laughs> and it literally is. I've I've heard those words more than once. That's it's amazing. Like, which I exactly, man. Because no, I I, dude, it it drove not this Clone Saga itself, but just the level of of comic books, what was going on at both companies. That's kind of what drove me away. Right. And it it took 1999, and it was Rucka and Brubaker and Bendis. And and uh, Kevin Smith doing Daredevil, all that stuff. It was like, 
Oh, no, comics are good again. You should really come back. You know, you're making <laughs> me think right now. How many second stringers have there been? Like Captain America had one, I think. Right, U.S. agent. US John agent. Uh, Walker. Someone's got to do a comic about those guys and what ha- and what team would they form? Like, and how? Oh, that's hilarious. That would be cool to see. And how bitter Ooh. are they? <laughs> that's know? awesome. That could be yeah, a what, fun yeah, one. What, that could be. What, a- yeah. What kind of? You know. So yeah. So Rody. Well, yeah. I don't know if Rody's dead or not, but yeah, right. Rody should be right. on there. All all and, the guys uh, that have filled the 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 shoes for. Or Happy Hogan as Iron Man. Yes. Oh my God, that's right. <laughs> oh my. I, you know, my favorite Iron Man still is the one with the nose. Oh yeah, George Tuska's. Yes, isn't it George Tuska that I did the, so. the faceplate like that? I think so. Just, I had, you know, that was like a like, you know, the story behind that. I think Stanley was no. walking down. He's like, you got to do something with his face or something. They, he said, he jokingly said, add a nose, and then they did. And then like a couple of issues later, they're like, he was like, why does he have a nose? He's like, because you told him to have a nose. He's like, take that thing off his face. So I think it was just like a, a not a prank, but just like a, a flippant remark. That that got Iron Man a nose for a little while, you know. <laughs> I had I had Dick Ayers draw the ten years ago the uh, the the first uh, red and gold suit that had the faceplate that came up in points above the helmet. Oh right, yes, yes, yes. Okay. And you know that was like six months or whatever. Yeah. And, and I remember seeing that on the Marvel superheroes cartoon uh, in the Avengers episode. Right. That they adapt the Hulk episode that they made. That's basically Avengers one. Right. Uh, yeah, that's and I'm like, I love that I love suit. That Would too. you please draw me that suit? He's like, oh yeah, no problem. <laughs> yeah, I, I like when when he got too mechanical. I, I just I don't know how. Oh yeah. How does yeah, all Mike these guys panel after panel after panel, like all these heroes these days? Like they, the the costumes have gotten out of hand. I I just prefer. I mean, as 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 you know, evidence in the Red Hook. I try to keep these things simple, man. You I'm know, with you, man. I'm with you. Because you just know who they are. And, okay, all right, what do they have to say and what's happening next? You know, like when they get too gadgety, I'm like, I don't know how that, – that, that's a that's way above my pay, pay rate. You know? Why? Like, the, the, the cynic in me says it's obviously to make different toys too. That's true. Yep. You know, I mean that's kind of what I – I mean even even the redesign of, of Superman for Rebirth, I love it. I got no problem with it. It is such an improvement from that high-colored yeah. – uh, Superman just came out of the barber. What the hell's with his hair? Right. Uh, look that they had for the last five years. Yeah. But again, it is different. And also, nothing nothing irks me more when kids are like, "What's with the underwear outside of his pants?" And it's like you've never seen an acrobat. Yeah. You've never. I mean, and uh, well, I guess you know something, man. They they aren't watching the uh, Tony Curtis, Burt Lancaster movie trapeze. Right. right. With Gina, Gina Lola Bridget in, like we yeah, are. Yeah. Oh, I love that. It's funny we got Tony Curtis in twice. <laughs> Who knew? I wonder if his, exactly. if his ears are ringing right now. Uh, <laughs> did you read? Did you read Rebirth real fast? I read that first issue. Yes. What'd you think? Um, I thought it was better than I thought it was going to be. And to be honest, I'm because I'm more of a Marvel fan. I, I felt like I needed a little bit more flash backstory so that when that big moment happened, it would resonate a little bit more for me because I'm not That's a, a huge, yeah. I'm not a huge Flash fan. So I felt I personally needed a little more uh, backstory, even though they did devote a lot of story to Flash in that the context of that. Right. Uh, I could use another six pages, let's say, of, of right. give me some more Flash. Um, so that when that moment happened, it would resonate a little bit more for me, even though I knew what was happening. And then, um, hell, that last page with uh, Batman in the cave, I'm, I'm, I'm on. I'm on board. 
do it. Do it. Well, as long as it's a good story. I that's mean, that's, all that matters. And again, and you can only judge it until it's done. Exactly. And, and, and there you go. And I have to admit, uh, I'm impressed that they didn't um, abandon it because right away, several of the Rebirth issues, nothing, no, no big reveals of Dr. Manhattan right. or Rorschach around a corner or anything right. like that. Right. But just in terms of something weird happened to us and we got to figure out what it was. Sure, sure. And, and I like that. And I especially like it followed through in Titans. Uh, Wally West was basically kind of retelling the story, and and I, right. yeah, I, I'm I'm optimistic. I have to say, I, I like the initial direction that it's going in. I mean, again, they have to, <laughs> they have to figure this out month after month. After, I mean, again, maybe comics should t- take a break, relax a little. You know, maybe you don't have to do it as a monthly, but that's that's what we've been trained to do and trained to read in that way. You know, and. Yeah, Game of Thrones gets to do theirs uh, ten episodes a year, you know, and 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 then you 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 watch that in what two and a half months or something, or, oh, yeah. or well, some you people know. binge watch, you know, whatever. But I, you know, but they have to do this for years and years and years, so they got to keep reinventing that wheel, and it is hard, and it is absolutely absurd at the same time. But as long as you can tell a, a good story, that's kind of what matters in, in, in with all the kerfuffle, you know. No, I agree with that, and I also think that if I'm an armchair quarterback, Dan DiDio, and treat him like a like a sports coach, right, right. I think he's felt with 52, especially 52, that that weekly comic really made a difference, and that's the last time people were really, really excited about DC right. in terms of holy shit, look what they're doing, isn't this amazing? Right. And I and I think that's why the double shipping is happening right. to make the stories move a little faster. Sure. And yeah, like you said, uh, we as an audience are trained. As as you know, Wednesday Warriors, and we got to be there every Wednesday at the comic store and see the new books. Right. And he's like, that's what makes comics exciting. Right. So how can we tailor our stories to fit that weekly model as best? Or you know, or if if not weekly, can we make it every? Can we make it every other week? Right. Right. And and I think I I get it, and I and I hope he's right, and I think it will excite people. But that's the thing, because he, he they. DC more than I think any well every publisher but I think DC gets that no we're a monthly publishing company yep. that's what we do yep. or at least that's our arm of Warner Brothers that's our imperative that's that's our goal right so yeah that's I mean it's just I saw him speak to the retailers a couple months ago in Chicago and I'm you know believe me I mean I'm a fly on the wall I don't want to I don't want to rustle the water or anything like right. that but I'm listening very carefully to what he's saying and it's interesting and yeah it's We'll see. We'll and see. and the one actually out of all the new rebirths or whatever DC books, and I don't read a lot of them, but the one that's like I'm really excited to check out is Aquaman. I, I me too. I, I love Brad Walker. I, I know Brad Walker. I love his work. What he's doing looks amazing, and I have a good feeling about it. You know, I think they're gonna they're gonna do a good Aquaman comic. So I'm really excited for that one. I I hope that's true. And you know, I'll be honest. I think they've they've. Pretty much, I think they've always succeeded more than failed with Aquaman. I liked what Colin Bunn was doing, and I was kind of bummed that people got really angry about it. I'm like, well, it seems like interesting Aquaman. I actually never read that one. Again, like, I, I hopscotch, and, I, and I'm actually entering Aquaman because of Brad. But, like, it looks like there's a good team, and and, and, and based on the yeah. images, there's, there's going to be a, a cool story there. You know, like, I mean, the Aquaman that I'm attracted to is, um, oh, help me, uh, Nick Cardi. The Nick Cardi. I am looking at two Nick Cardi covers right now. There go you on. go. That that's it. That's all you need to know. Like Nick, yes. like it's undeniable. You have to. I don't remember if the stories are great or not. I I do feel like there was a lot of romance in those comics, and yep. that's what attracts me. You know, superhero comics to me 
are equal amounts of science fiction, crime, and romance. You know, oh, agree. Mona Freighton too. Yeah, Mona, Mona Freighton, unbelievable. And and I actually oh, yeah. have bought her Aquaman uh, from my pal Mike Cavallaro, who is a really good cartoonist. In fact, he'd do a great. I know Mike Cavallaro. Yeah, Mike Cavallaro. He would do a great Aquaman. But um, anyway. Oh, that'd be interesting to see. I would have no problem. I'd love to see oh, that. He, he's great. He did a comic for Activate called Leviathan years ago. Yes. That, to me, was like that. That's the guy that should do Aquaman next. Yeah, that I was like Sea Devils. You see it? I'm like, yeah, he should be doing. Oh, sea it's so funny, Sea Devils. Devils. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> anyway, but uh, yeah. So I mean, uh, it, it, thanks for talking to me tonight. You know, uh, absolutely. I'll let you. <laughs> I'll let you go, my man. No, no, no. Right. I know. I, I, I just got it. You know what it is? I have to ink a page. There's no. It's, it's the schedule. Is eight days a week, man. You know, I hear so, you. Com- I hear you. Com- so <laughs> webtoons, webtoons is the app to get Red Hook or. Yes. You can go to webtoons.com as well and, and read it on your laptop. Yep. But I think you will want to get the app because – and now that I uh, – you know, again, I, I just looked it up online and that's how I found it. But now I will be getting the Webtoon app. Well, so and, and do you, you know David Tishman, right? I do know David Tishman. I was going to say when we were talking about uh, America, uh, America, Chaken. Uh, Chaken. He, America, he collaborated American on I love Tishman. Yeah. Right. So uh, he did a really good comic uh, called Heroin Chic. That's another one of the uh, – uh, you know, kind of bringing in American cartoonists to try to uh, bring in more American readers. Uh, so it's on Webtoons as well. So it's on Webtoons as well. They had a, a first season and they're developing the second season now. That's Heroin oh. Chic. That's really good. And there's another comic out right now called Dense. Uh, that's a lot of fun. And I, I, her name escapes me right now, but she's uh, one of the two actresses on a TV show. Oh, God. What's it called? That She's the blonde and it's like about waitresses. Two broke girls. Two broke girls. So Beth oh, so Bear. The blonde on two broke girls. So not Kat Dennings. No, Dennings. like Beth Bear or something like that. Or... Okay. Anyway, she. I'll take your word for it. She... I don't watch the show. I gotta be. Yeah, honest, yeah, but I know yeah. exactly what you're talking well, I, about. I, I don't either. But but you know, I've seen the commercials. <laughs> so anyway, she uh, is one of the co-writers of a comic called Dense. Also, oh, okay. Web I mean, put it this way: there's tons of stuff. I mean, you download the app and you're getting a bunch of great free web comics. Some of them are new, like mine. Some of them have been there for seven years, so you you can you can you know binge read those or whatever, uh, and it's free. Like it's all free. <laughs> what's what's not to like? You know, so, that's fantastic. No, you got talented people over there, especially yeah. with you and Tishman, and that's awesome. Yeah. And uh, no, it sounds great. Yeah. So and, and so then, people will check out webtoons. And then, yeah. So Red Hook, and then and then come. I think July twenty seventh will be the Purple Heart by Vito Del Sante and Ricardo Venancio, and then come September, I believe. Will be uh, Seth Kushner's uh, and Seamus Bial's uh, The Brooklynite, and uh, this is Seth's, you know, posthumous superhero work expanded into the new Brooklyn universe by Seamus Bial. He's done an incredible job, uh, not only keeping Seth's voice but adding his own, and like I said, expanding it into this new Brooklyn universe. And it, they're all beautiful-looking comics as well. So. I'm really excited by this, and I and I think uh, readers will also, and and your your listeners will dig it. So, that's a, hey uh, on on Seth's uh, thing. Did Seth have a chance to draw Brooklyn Knight at all before he uh, passed? He, he drew uh, a bunch. I he had asked me to come up with an idea, and I came up with a loose idea. And then while he was in the hospital, he just kept drawing and drawing. Yes, I know. I loved those. Those are fantastic. Yes. While he was so doing that. we do have a bunch of his own version of the Brooklyn Knight before it was refined by Seamus Bial. Uh, okay. Uh, and again, uh, it it this is I'm really excited uh, to have helped shepherd uh, you know one of Seth's final comics into the yeah man you know so, absolutely yeah. absolutely. 
Very cool, man. No, keep it up, dude. You're doing great, and I'm uh, and I'm very glad. And uh, I hear the creative juice is flowing. Thank you, John. Thank you. There's no question. Absolutely, man. So I'll, I'll see you in a, I'll see you in a couple months, and yeah. uh, we'll we'll figure some stuff out at Wizard. Absolutely. There you go, Dean Haspiel. Don't forget the Red Hook is just about half over, and uh, you uh, owe it to yourself to go check it out online. Go to webtoon.com. And uh, grab the app and uh, read it on your tablet or your phone. Of course, you can also read it just on your laptop or desktop, uh, as I've been doing it. It's a great story, and I think you'll enjoy it. So uh, go check it out. And uh, looking forward to uh, more of Dean's projects coming up in the near and distant future. And I'll see him at uh, Wizard Chicago. Hope you enjoyed today's episode of Word Balloon. Uh, it was brought to you by you, the League of Weird Word Balloon listeners. Thank you for your support. That's all I'll say. Uh, you can come to wordballoon.com if you'd like to help support Word Balloon. And that's all the commercial you're going to get today from me. But uh, good news, I've got more episodes to come before the end of uh, June and right into uh, the 4th of July weekend. If all works out, I think you're going to be very happy with uh, the uh, group of shows I've got in the days ahead. So a uh, big splash to give you a lot to listen to during the holiday weekend. I know sometimes, you know, those four-day weekends, sometimes you travel and you got nothing to do while you're in the car. Word Balloon's going to be there for you in uh, in spades with lots of uh, great content and great conversation. So uh, have a good weekend, and I will talk to you at the beginning of the week with even more Word Balloon. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2016.